0: Welcome to Heaven Sent and Bent on TalkZone.com, a place to talk about the experiences that we call life. We'll share the sorrow and the joy that makes this earthy existence real and makes us who we are. Now, here's your host, Renee Steelman.
1: Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining me on this wonderful Halloween week. I want you to know that I hope that you are on the same page as I when I say that Halloween is the best holiday of the entire year. It involves costumes. It involves candy. It involves running around the streets at night. I can't think of a better scenario. So I love Halloween, and I hope that all of you will have a great Halloween this Saturday and that you will have lots of fun things to do all week long. So anyway, and I also hope that you're joining me today on Heaven Sent and Bent. Remember that you can download the Talk Zone app, www.talkzone.com so that you can listen on your smartphone. And if you are, if you happen to be listening live, you can always call in and ask questions to my guest. And, um, you can also find my previous podcasts And this podcast will be up on my blog, which is www.heavenandnot.com. So thank you so much for joining me today. And I think you are going to be really, really interested in the subject that we have going on today. My guest is Bevan Burns, who is the principal and executive director for a school, a nonprofit school in Portland, Oregon, called Bridges Middle School. It's an independent nonprofit school that provides a highly creative and focused school setting for fifth to eighth grade students that have learning differences um, for students that have had trouble getting along in a typical public school setting. Uh, Mrs. Burns was educated at Portland State University and at the Institute for Nonprofit Management, and she has over 20 years of experience as a leader in various capacities for nonprofit education organizations to her role now at Bridges. She has um, extensive organizational and instructional leadership to uh, experience to develop style and abilities, and she challenges all of the teachers that are there and helps them to develop And, and deliver rigorous and relevant curriculum that are, you know, can be measured, that are standards, that are positive, that are appropriate, and that really give these kids what they need to develop into successful young people going into the high school and I have heard nothing but wonderful things from other educators, from parents and from other specialists that say that they have nothing but wonderful things to say about the differences that these kids have when they come out of Bridges Middle School and they're prepared to go into high school. So thank you for joining me this morning, Bevan. How are you?
0: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm doing lovely today. Thank you so much.
1: Well, I am so excited. I just want to do everything that I can to spread the word about your school. And I was watching some of the videos that are on your website, and I would encourage anyone to uh, go to the website. Well, you can just basically type in Bridges Middle School, Portland, Oregon, and you'll find uh, the website. But they... The videos replicate the exact feelings and I know I've shared these feelings with you. Uh, very quickly you see the difference in your, in your children that are attending this school compared to the, the temperament of, that they had going to the school that they were in before. And I echo one of the parents that said, I wish I would have found this school in fifth grade so that they would have had a longer amount of time. But tell the listeners, about Bridges and how it came to be and exactly how it works.
0: Absolutely. I think you really hit it on the nail there with the transformation our kiddos go through. Um, we, we really take an approach to our academic programming um, that doesn't just prepare our kids for success in middle school. It prepares them for success in high school and beyond and real-world expectations, giving them really replicable um, skills, tools, and self-advocacy skills needed. Um, to be able to ask for appropriate help in other settings outside of the school. So we really do strive to transform lives, not just prepare kids for high school. We have um, we've actually been doing this for quite a while. In the late 90s, um, our program was actually born out of a day treatment program through Providence Health Systems. And at that point, they had a day treatment program for kiddos who had some, in addition to learning differences, they had some pretty severe behavioral um, or social-emotional needs. Um, but within that group, they found that they had one or two students who really were struggling primarily with academic differences, but due to lack of support services in uh, traditional academic settings, they had been placed in a day treatment program and really seeing that need for the academic support, they started a pilot program with two children in the basement of a house um, that they operated this day treatment program out of. Um, The need for these two kids was clearly met through the type of programming that focused on academics with social emotional support secondary to that academic support and And quickly that program grew from two to five to ten kids over time. And after about six years outgrew the space and they moved into another location um, that was a former Waldorf, Waldorf school owned by a church in the area of northeast Portland. And um, at that point, they were able to move and expand the program, really keeping that academic focus as distinctly separate from a day treatment program, yet still run by Providence Health Systems Youth Services. Um, That continued until and grew to any year fluctuating between 30 and 40 students, and And then in the summer, actually it was the spring of 2012, the Providence Health System, um, as many people probably know, really took a hard look at their budget. They were overspending um, in almost all of their line items and coming up with a red line budget every year. And they had to go through a pretty comprehensive um, audit process. And in doing so, looking at our program, which at the time was called Gately Academy, They realized that it had really grown into an academic program that didn't necessarily meet the mission of the medical model of Providence Health Systems anymore. They held a meeting um, with families and teachers at the same time in spring and let everybody know that they would be closing the doors and shutting down the school. Well, as you can imagine, this was quite a shock and not pleasant news for anybody involved, Um, there really is no and wasn't then and isn't now any other alternative for these type of kiddos who seem to fall between the cracks of needing individualized and um, differentiated instruction and homework, but also didn't need the behavior classrooms and supports that took them completely out of a normalized academic setting. Mm -hmm. So it was really clear to the staff and the families at that point that this was major crisis. Um, They could not rest on their laurels and let Gately Academy close their doors. Uh, They were a passionate group of families and were really fortunate that they were able to band together, create a committee to save the school, and within a period of about five months, were able to incorporate as a 501c3 hire myself to be the executive director to move forward through the transition and into periods of growth. And we were really fortunate to be able to get all of that in place along with the financial support we needed from major donors and Providence helped us through that first year as well. And um, we were able to keep all of our staff on board through that transition and create a, a really seamless transition process where our students um, were not affected. And um, shortly after that, we went through a name change as the Gately Academy name was owned by Providence, and we involved our families and our kiddos in that process, um, which is one of the reasons we're now called middle school as opposed to academy, was because our kiddos were really clear with us. They didn't want the stigma attached of that academy name because it meant you had to explain, was it special school? Was it for extra bright kids? Was it, you know, there was a question always. Now they get to say, I go to Bridges Middle School, and there are no questions around it, and they have an even greater sense of pride, and it's just such a normalizing experience for them. So, you know, close to 20 years later, here we are um, running strong. We moved into our current facility in North Portland on Marine Drive with a a nine-and-a-half-acre campus and a large, spacious, traditional school building um, that created even more of a normalized experience for our kiddos. Um, While we're able to maintain really small class sizes of six to ten kids in a class, we're able to do that in a way that provides them with an experience that closely parallels a traditional academic experience so they aren't being completely alienated from the skills needed to succeed in those types of settings so that we're really trying to help build these transferable skills, the academic skills, the self-advocacy skills, building self-confidence, and a true understanding for each student about what their individual difference is and what they need to be able to thrive despite those differences. And now we're going stronger than ever with a stronger program. Um, and it's it's really quite a remarkable place. And, and absolutely, it's a place of transformation for our kiddos and for our families.
1: It so is. And I love what you said about a normalized experience because I, th- I don't, I, I was just talking with my daughter this morning because she has a little one that is a couple of years behind getting ready to go into the public school, but the public schools, You know, bless their hearts, they're trying so hard to serve the needs of the community, but they're overwhelmed and understaffed and under budgeted and they, I think there's just too much on their plate. So here she, and they do have a, a preschool program. So she's meeting with these teachers about her son's preschool program. And even at that level, they don't have a clue how to work with this child because you can't clump all these kids that have learning differences, as you mentioned, into one category. So one thing does not fit all, and it's right. got to be so overwhelming. But the program that they offer does not resemble a normalized experience. It, it is a pullout program, as you mentioned, and so these kids do become marked almost, and it does set them up for failure being pulled out and and set into a different setting inside the public school where all of the other kids, especially at that age, can witness what's going on. And it is a major crisis. And, And you're right, there are not enough programs like yours to fill the needs of all of these poor, struggling parents and poor, struggling students.
0: You know, it's so true and it really is heartbreaking and, and you know, I'm a big proponent in public school and not by any means an enemy of the public school system and, but you're absolutely right. Even the best, most passionate, dedicated, and energy-filled teachers struggle to do what they know needs to be done because their hands are tied. You just Mm -hmm. simply can't provide true individualized instruction when you have 30 students in each of your periods, and you've got five or six different periods, seven, eight different even. You may be dealing with over a 100 different students in a day, and there just are not enough hours in anybody's day to be able to provide the actual individualized supports these kiddos need. Unfortunately, that's exactly what many of our students and families have run up against before finding us and the process of that for our kiddos is detrimental. It's, it's not only um, a series um, it really it is almost a series of unfortunate events when it comes to mm-hmm. public education for kiddos who don't fit that exact mold and, and what I have to tell you is very few children in our society fit one mold. Every single yeah. child I know has had some type of really individualized style, difference, struggles, strengths, you name it. We each process information differently, we each internalize that differently, and how we process it from brain through hand into writing or in mathematics or whatever that means, it's unique to each of us. But what has happened with these kiddos by trying to put all of these round pegs into square holes... um, They're losing self-confidence. They're losing their will to do school. They're losing their sense of mastery. They are... Feeling defeated, overwhelmed, unsupported and by the time parents are coming to us, most often these kiddos have been um, victims of bullying in their school and as well intentioned as our special education supports are in the public school setting, um, it's actually really detrimental what's happening to our kiddos. Not only are they being pulled out and placed into behavior rooms with inappropriate matches of students with their different issues. They're being taught to the lowest common denominator in the class. They're not being challenged academically and often they are being treated um, as if behavior is the main issue here. What that does is um, I the other piece of that is they might be sending in one-on-one aides to be with the kid for what they call mainstreaming, right, so that you're left inclusive in the classroom. Well, that's a really major issue for kids in middle school. It's right around that fourth, fifth grade mark, um, where kiddos really start to realize and become aware of themselves and their peers and the differences between them and their peers. And when they have a peer full of classroom, or a classroom full of peers who are by and large able to um, maintain in the classroom setting and follow along at the pace of the teacher. The one or two students in there who can't, who are having AIDS next to them, that's a huge self-confidence issue for kiddos at this age. And right. um, it really affects their willingness and their desire to do school. And really by the time families have come to us, they are at absolute crisis where they're dealing with kids who are kicking, screaming and crying and begging not to go back into that building. And that's not a situation any parent wants to have no. on a daily basis with their child. They wanna know that where they're sending their student, not only are they cared for and being academically challenged and helping to grow, but that they feel and genuinely are welcome and wanted in that environment. And that's what kids find and feel here. We're able to get to know these kids. And we we do relationship-based teaching, which makes all the difference in the world. Because when you know a student very well personally, you can identify the signs of increased anxiety or frustration. And you can intervene before that becomes a behavior. Because really, all that we're seeing is the behaviors that come out of kiddos with learning differences. All it is, is a manifestation of frustration, Mm of Where they can be and where they are and not having the support to get between point A and point B is all going to be internal personal conflict for them. And that's what we're really trying to eliminate is building that self-confidence, that desire to do school, that sense of mastery and ability, and then really sparking that inspiration for wanting to be a lifelong learner and finding out where our strengths are, building upon those and getting the tools to overcome our weaknesses.
1: Exactly. You hit the nail right on the head, as you said, because that is so true. Even with adults, my again, my family and I were discussing the, uh, you know, oftentimes behavior, whether it's anger management or other kinds of behavior, if you really were to look at the root of it, it is usually confusion or. Or an embarrassment, uh, they, you know, someone might have a lack of knowledge and they're embarrassed that they don't have it and that manifests itself mm-hmm. into anger. And, but yet we don't look at children as Little people. And so we take everything that they do as a behavior issue. And as you mentioned, oftentimes, I know in my case, when I would go through my children's IEPs, they would, they were addressing the behavior rather than the learning. And they, you know, and it was a, it was very frustrating because I love what you said that this program isn't just a nice place for kids who have learning differences. You are a strong academic program, and you are preparing the kids for high school. But you're tell the listeners what you mean by relationship teaching and relationship learning, because you are getting these kids prepared to go on for further education. So they're getting strong academics, but what's the difference? Tell everyone what the difference Absolutely. is, but how you teach.
0: I'm going to take a couple approaches to that. So first of all, um we start off our kids here, our fifth graders and some of our sixth graders will start in a inclusive classroom. And that means that they have um we have one class of kids, all of our classes range from about 6 to 10 kids. Um and when they first start in the younger ages here there's a huge difference between the elementary model and the middle school model. In elementary school, kiddos have one teacher. They're not dealing with transitions every period, new teachers every period. And the, the um, relationship are formed by nature of that in the elementary model. Right. Because spending all day with one teacher, you do get to know them. The huge disservice we do to our kiddos when they go into middle school is we throw them to the wolves. We have taken them from an environment where we've held their hand. We've been explicit in instruction about how to navigate the day, the desk, the text, the homework. And the next year, we expect them to be able to pick up just by nuance all of the totally different expectations of transitioning in a middle school environment from class to class. So we start our kiddos in the in one group with one teacher the half of day doing all academics and then other teachers in the afternoon, but they transition together as a group in a very safe way, so they start to learn how to navigate that. Then... When they go on to the milieu, which is what we call our more traditional middle school model here, they have the skills and confidence to do those transitions in a way that is uh, useful and productive for them. Now, by maintaining really small class sizes here, and even a small school itself, we range from about 30 to 40, um, sometimes up to 50, depending on the year, students, but what that does is allow us to really get to know each of our students, not only do we have um, at max about that, you know, 10 to 1 classroom teacher ratio. We also have a 15 to 1 clinician ratio with two full-time counselors, one being an art therapist and licensed um, practicing counselor, and the other being a um Uh, having a master's of social work and also a counseling degree. So what we're able to do is really get to know these kids, start to really understand where their anxieties are, where their rigid thoughts are, where their fears, frustrations, but also where their strengths are and their senses of mastery so that we can use those to build. And by getting to know each of these kids individually, When they're in a classroom setting and they start to feel overwhelmed by a specific problem, a topic, whatever it might be, we have the luxury of noticing that and knowing them well enough to see that raised eyebrow. And we know, oh, that means Johnny is becoming um, ramped up with his anxiety. And so we're able actually to intervene there, before it becomes an actual um, behavior issue or a a manifestation of that frustration, we're able to intervene at that point, pull the kiddo out of class if needed to speak with one of our counselors just to be able to de-escalate that frustration and get them back in the classroom actively engaged in academics. When we don't have the luxury of doing that, for instance, in the public school setting, that frustration manifests in behavior and becomes a complete emotional flood for a student, at which point they've shut down and they are no longer actively learning. They -hmm. are coping for survival. And what we find is that by being able to have at least one point person of an adult in the clinical team, As well as a mentor teacher, all of our kiddos have a specific mentor teacher, we're able to really hone in on those individual needs academically and social-emotionally so that we can support the kiddos through those struggles. And and have help build them, uh, help build their confidence and their ability to do school in a productive way, and get them back into that classroom and actively engaged in that academic content in a way that they're not able to be when they're emotionally flooded.
1: Wow, that, and I love what you said about how you start out your day in the very very beginning with all of the kids. Tell everyone how you start out the day.
0: Absolutely. So we have we have a fairly typical schedule. Of course, we're trying to keep that really normalized setting um, for our kiddos. But one of a few of the unique things we do is the very first period of the day is our mentor group period. And um, this, again, is sort of um, it's an opportunity for kiddos to come into the door into a safe environment with a small group of peers and one teacher they have a great connection with and talk about anything that's on their chest that might be preventing them from getting uh, a productive day out of the academic program. And we go around in mentor group and we actually have a check in with a one through five social emotional scale. Each kid talks about where they are and they share something that they want to get off their chest. It might be a fight with mom in the car on the way to school. It may be they struggled with homework last night. It may be, um, you know, they have a sick family member. There's a lot of things that can be going on. But the opportunity for them to voice that and get it out of their mind and off of their chest frees up the space for that cognitive energy to go towards academics. So that's one thing that we're doing at the very beginning of the day. Some of the other unique things that we do that really address that is that we build in a physical movement break every two periods here. So we know that um, kiddos who have distractibility issues, attention deficits, hyperactivity um, really need physical movement to keep their brain operating at peak performance. So every two periods, we're getting these kiddos outside or into the gym, depending on weather, of course, in the Northwest, a lot of gym. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it is quite amazing what it does for their brains to be able to recenter. We also front load our core academics to the first half of the day. So right after mentor group, periods one, two, then break, then three and four are our core academics of mathematics, language arts, science and social studies. We know that our type of kiddos um, really in the first half of the day is when their brains are operating at peak performance. We also know that for children in general, uh, by and large, kiddos have the ability to concentrate for approximately one minute per year they've been alive. If you think about that, for a neurotypical 12-year-old, that would be 12 minutes. Our kiddos are not neurotypical and their attention span windows are smaller. So what we're doing is even within a 45-minute academic period, we're breaking up our tasks and our activities into 5 to 10-minute chunks and then changing how we're delivering that, changing how they're accessing the information, in many cases even changing their physical location within the room so that we're able to take best advantage of those peak Um, you know brain function times. Um, We are also because we're keenly aware of this need for movement we have an optional zero period that starts a period before our first mentor group. And this is a structured fitness course. Um, About a half of our students take advantage of this. And it's an amazingly effective way for our kiddos to be able to come into mentor group and then first period with some of that energy out and really prepared to be successful that day. And Uh, we, go ahead. No,
1: I was going to say I love that. In fact, when I was reading through that, I'm like, can I come? Do they let the parents come mm-hmm. to that? I want to do that. <laughs> that would
0: great, be right?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it is so important, as you say, to get the blood moving and get all the wiggles out and just to get that. All the juice is flowing right before you have to sit down again and start doing something. So I loved that when I saw that.
0: Me too. One of the neat things we've started this year that's new to our program is we've developed a very specific um, curriculum called Growth Mindset. There's a lot of talk about mindset going on out there in the community. I'm sure you're hearing that buzzword. But it is a really effective tool for our kiddos. What we're doing is very intentionally teaching them about brain function, brain structure, and about the power of, the power that we as individuals hold and the control that we actually have over our mindset and over how our brain functions and thinks. So we're able to now really teach these kids individually and find out what kind of a learner are you and how does your brain function and what are the mindsets that you get stuck in and here are tools to be able to change that mindset and to have the power to influence how your interactions with others and how your self-performance is going to be. It's been incredibly valuable for our kiddos already this year and the other special thing we have about being such a small school and having such a close-knit collaborative staff is we're able to model that same language throughout all of our core academic classes, bringing a unified theme of how we're talking with our kiddos in every setting is really helpful for these kind of kids who really do need repetitive structure. They need clear and consistent boundaries, clear and consistent expectations, and fair and justified application and consequences for those boundaries every single day. And by doing that and doing that in a way that honors their individuality, that honors the strengths that they're bringing to the table and honors the relationship that we've built with them, we're able to really create um, trust and um, and really motivate our kiddos to take it to the next level. And it is absolutely transformative. I can physically see it in kids when they come on their first day, shoulders are tight and tucked in, their heads tucked into their shoulders, a little bit hunched. And within the first week of being in this setting, they feel welcome. They feel wanted. They feel like we're a club that wants them as a member. And for the first time, they feel like part of something they belong to. And those shoulders come down and that head comes up and that posture straightens up and it's just that first sign of that transformation and that first time here that is so powerful and rewarding to see and a, and a daily reminder of how what we are doing with those kiddos really does work. And I'm so yeah. thrilled to be a part of it. It's so rewarding.
1: Yes, I, I wish I would have had a GoPro on my head when I took my grandson to uh, his shadow day and watched the children file in and as they filed in, they looked at him. They recognized that he was new and they're like, Hey, hi, welcome. And yeah. I mean, I wanted to look around and see if there was like a, a camera somewhere. It's like, is this a joke? <laughs> it, I've never, I've never had this before. I, I, as you mentioned, kids are just going down the hallway. They're just talking, you know, to each other. They're in their little clicks and you know, one after another student came up and introduced themselves said, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, you know, thanks for uh, whatever. It was just amazing. And I was, Dumbfounded and I thought, I thought I heard angels singing somewhere in the background. It was absolutely amazing. But what I, I like what you said about the mindset because, you know, normally we don't find out until we're adults. We might go to some fun class and they might talk about right brain, left brain. And here we've gone all the way through our, our college, all the way through, you know, K through 12, then all the way through college, wondering why a certain part of our education was difficult for us. And then, as you mentioned, we're starting to find out how our different brains function and what the structure is. And so people who used to feel badly about themselves, because maybe handwriting was really difficult for them. I know so many adults who are so embarrassed about their handwriting or they'll say, I was never good at that. I I could never get my essays in. And, you know, language in, in any kind of English class was so difficult for me. But math... Now math, I loved, and right. instead of embracing that and complimenting the child on being so great in that skill, it was like whatever. Do your right. essay. Get that hand Focus working. On the
0: deficit. <laughs>
1: right, right, and so yeah. you've got uh, adults that even even at seventy and eighty years old, they are embarrassed that they weren't good in a certain area, and yet they have so many strengths in other areas, and it's almost like we teach that. But yet we don't really embrace it. It's Because people talk about that all the time, differences. Oh, yeah, we're all different. We all love one another. You know, we uh, embrace the the differences. But then when it comes to actual instruction, we go, yeah, but here is the curriculum and this is how you're going to do it. And this has gone on for years. I mean, I remember, how old is my son? 30, 30, 30 something years ago, 32 years ago, sitting in with a teacher he was trying, she was trying to explain to me how I could better help my son get organized. And so she recommended that I get these folders and then that we do this and we do that. And I just looked at her and said, yeah, that's not going to work for him. He doesn't do math in the blue folder and writing in the red folder and whatever. And that's just not going to work for him. That's not really his issue, but I think it's a strength for you. So. Even then, even 35 years ago, I remember being being so frustrated and and not knowing how to help these children. And when you talk about learning differences, what what, name some of the learning differences that that you handle?
0: Well, I would say about 60 to 70 percent of our kiddos are coming to us with a diagnosis of ADD or ADHD. About 30% of our kiddos are on the autism spectrum, what was recently called Asperger's um, on the higher end functioning end of that autism spectrum. And almost 100% of our kiddos also have a dual diagnosis of a very specific learning difference. Some of those might include sensory processing disorders. They may include memory recall um, disorders, dyslexia, dysgraphia. Um Some of them are language-based. Some of them are sensory-based. Some of them are um, visual and spatially-based. And they really do, there is a, a myriad of them. But those are some of the bigger ones that we're seeing almost all of our kiddos and i think we see a theme running with all of these different diagnoses is that they all struggle with executive functioning and those are the skills in the brain that help you with those organization with right. um, Systems And so those are some of the things that we really intentionally build into the curriculum throughout all of our courses because especially our kiddos who are struggling with them need repetition ad nauseum for something to become habit. So for instance, in the way that we do homework, in fact, we'd like to throw homework completely out because studies show Yay. That we do a lot <laughs> for retention of content. However, mm-hmm. we can... Keep it in for two reasons. One is, again, we're trying to build successful students who can succeed in our program and outside of our program with real-world expectations. So it would not be fair to them to have no homework and then send them off to a high school where they're going to have hours a night. We need to help Mm. them build those skills. That's true. So we send homework home in small chunks of content that should be very familiar and just uh, an opportunity for them to sort of rehearse and practice those skills, not something that was taught that day. We believe parents shouldn't be teachers. They, their strengths are in parenting, and when they have to cross over and become teachers at home, again, what happens there is conflict. And we want to reduce conflict in the home so that kiddos are feeling 100% supported in the home in and they can save their energy for academics at school. The other reason we do homework is because it is an executive function skill builder. We have a specific binder system that we use that takes quite a bit of time to really be effective, but it's the process of, A, remembering your homework, remembering to bring your binder home, remembering to take out your homework, do about 15 minutes at most 30 minutes of homework, and have it be homework that is easy enough for you to complete, to feel confident in, and to have a sense of pride in being able to complete, putting that back in the binder, remembering to bring it back the next day, remembering to turn it in, and getting immediate feedback for that success. Those process of baby steps repeated again and again and again throughout the year and years that students are with us build a new neural pathway in brains that really help create that executive functioning, turning that into more of a strength for our kiddos. So that's wow. a really important piece. And then we're utilizing those same principles throughout our day, throughout the curriculum um, and tying it all kind of back into building those executive functioning skills. You know, one of the other things you had mentioned um, in, around for these kiddos is, is how hard that those social interactions can be. And we were talking about how they're really noticing the difference between them and their peers. And I think one of the courses we offer here that is very unique, um, we call it Social Bridges. And it's a very specific curriculum that we teach kiddos intentional and overt lessons in how to navigate the social world of middle school. Back to when we were talking about that sort of difference between being in the safe, coddled elementary environment and then being thrown to the nuanced world of of middle school we're trying to eliminate that. Our kiddos don't get nuance. Um, neurotypical middle schoolers middle schoolers don't even get nuance. But for right. our kids, it's even harder because they don't read those social cues as well. Um, so we're teaching them really overtly friendship-making skills, um, relationship-building skills, navigating the hallways, lunch group skills, game-playing skills. All of these really... Um, What seems simple to adults or to neurotypical um, children can be really complicated for our kiddos. So we have a dedicated course for this where we teach a specific lesson and then with that group of kids, we throw them right into a board game and we practice those actual skills. Board games are an amazing social laboratory for our kiddos because you get competition. You get... um, All of the different sort of interactions that you would see in a peer group, we can make them happen within a half-hour setting with a board game and practice those skills. And then again, just like with our growth mindset or other classes, we're able to share that language with families and with teachers so that we can all be mirroring and supporting these and reinforcing these new skills so that they really can take effect and be transformative for the kids. I wish
1: That is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and and I like how you're explaining that because those of us who have children who are, as you say, on the spectrum that don't read social skills well, and a lot of times, for some reason, there's also, in some cases, a very highly competitive edge to their personality. And so board games and just simple games that children naturally play become a horrible, you know, adventure yeah. because they are so competitive. They don't know how to lose. They don't know how to play the rules. And so that you think that's a a play thing, mm-hmm. but you understand that that is a learning tool that has to be taught yeah. and mm-hmm. how that goes into just relationships in the future. That's amazing. Yeah.
0: It, it is really powerful, and these kids respond so well to it and um, it makes sense to them and they're able to relate to these skills in a way that now they can understand and really start internalizing and putting into practice.
1: you know one of the things that you mentioned, and I wanted to point this out because i I don't know where this how this would even. I don't even know how this would even spell out, but for some reason, innately, I, I, I observed this. You said that the school is in a an older building, but it has a, it, it was an old school previously, so it has a school feel to it. But it's not brand new. It's not shiny. It doesn't have marble floors, and yet it is so welcoming and so peaceful when you go inside. And I remember years ago, my father is from England and so he attended boarding school and we took a trip over there and he wanted to show us the school that he attended. So we went over to the school and they were very nice to take us through the hallways. And I'm watching all of these children go up and down the hallway and go to their different places that they needed to be in their great uniforms. And I started looking around at this school and it was appealing and old and I com- you know and I thought about how we, we in America America is so young we are all we, we would look at something like that and go oh absolutely not and then I compared Bridgeport, bridges middle school to the public school that he my grandson would have gone to it's beautiful inside I walked inside and it looked like a high school and instead of being impressed with that it scared me to death because I thought, I, I remember just almost physically backing up and thinking, oh, no, oh, no, no, this would he would not work well here. He can't even deal with middle right. school, let alone taking on a high school feel. And then I was listening to the people in the office and they were talking about uh, clubs and cheerleading and dance squad. And I was like, whoa, this is middle school. And so I love the fact that your school is not about dances and and, you know, cheerleading and dance and all of this stuff. It's about learning and relationships with people. But you also have educational and you have field trips. What are some of the things that you take the kids to?
0: Oh, you know, we have a couple a couple things we do on a regular basis. on On Wednesdays, we have a double block enrichment period, um, and we're really committed to helping our kiddos um, gain a sense of community obligation, a sense of giving back. We all are masters at something, and it's our obligation to share that with the world. And so we're really trying to help teach these kiddos that. So one of the things that we do is all of our kiddos participate in community service. We take them out into the community. We have a partnership with Loaves and Fishes. And we have groups of kids that will go and actually prepare meals in the kitchen They will serve meals in the dining hall, and they will deliver meals to homes to seniors in need. Um, So that's one of the things that we do out in the community and key, um, really key for our kiddos. But we also get to do some really fun stuff. So we're fortunate to have a full-time art therapist here, and we incorporate art to a lot of things. But we also want our kiddos to get a real-life experience in art off-site. So we'll do field trips to the art museum but we'll also do field trips to um, paint your own ceramic pottery um, places. We've done last year. We did fused glass workshops with our kids, where they actually went and worked in a fused glass studio for four um, for four weeks, one one day each week for four weeks, and creating projects together. This gives us such a great opportunity to a learn some new skills from real life experts, do this in a new setting that is an exciting and new tools and surroundings and visuals, but also So an opportunity to teach our, to reinforce and teach those social skills out in the community setting. We've never been to a place that we didn't get wonderful feedback afterwards about how great our kiddos are and how much better behaved they are than the public school kiddos. Again, it's because we know our kids so well. We build relationships. We know how to support them and we know how to stop those little frustrations from becoming major explosions or implosions. We're also able to do fun things. We are right here on the Columbia River on Marine Drive. Um, We are walking distance to the Children's Arboretum, so we're able to do what we call hiking and exploring and compass work in the area. We're also very close to the Oregon Food Bank, so we look for opportunities to partner with them so that we get that community give-back experience again. And then we also look for other opportunities to get to working farms, to get to um, try on creek and do or omzi and do science curriculum that's hands-on and out of the setting and gives a change and a spark to those brains and and find a way to really find real world connections that is something that is really key for the kids who come here is if they can't understand why something matters it's really hard to get them motivated to want to learn it It is our dedicated teacher's challenge, and they are darn good at it, at finding how to make those connections in math, in social studies, in writing, in reading, in science. How can we connect this to something these kids care about in a way that they can understand the relation in real-world terms? That's sparks the kind of desire to learn that nothing else can. Um, so we exactly. really do try to get out and provide a, a myriad of experiences.
1: You hear that all the time. Parents, children will say, I don't understand why I need to know this. Uh-huh. I don't understand where I'm going to use this. And so, and and then parents are trying to explain, but in, in the back of their heads they're thinking to themselves, honestly, I don't know why you need to know this either. And so <laughs> <laughs> But your teacher said, and you have some homework to do, so do it. No, but that is so important. And I love what you said about that we're all masters at something and that we are obligated to share. And taking the kids into the community, into the loaves and fishes, oh, my heavens, that is amazing. It's so great. And I love how you use the parents. You're not overwhelmed to the point as in some of the other schools that have to deal with larger classrooms, to where you actually need parents to come in and help you teach. You need the parents to provide transportation or to Mm -hmm. help get the word out about this great school or to help drive to some of these field trips. That's the way parents should be used in this school. You're the teachers. You're the professionals. Let you do your job, and then we'll we'll supplement what needs to be done on the outside level. That's, that's right. so important.
0: Well, now, that's Renee, a- I know we only have an hour together. I would love to talk about one other thing that we do that I think is yes. really important. And that yes. is in our eighth grade year, because, again, we're trying to prepare our kiddos to be successful in high school and beyond, we um, we have a very intentional class that all of our eighth graders go through. It's called Greek Mythology, but really what it is is says high school prep. And we wrap that in Greek Mythology because all freshmen will have to take Greek Mythology. So if we can use that as a topic that our kiddos will go to their freshman year of high school knowing way more about Greek Mythology than any other student there, they're going to automatically have an advantage and a, a sense of confidence around that. But what we're able to do with that class is really ratchet up those expectations of homework, of independent research, of outline writing, of writing papers. And what is amazing for these kiddos is it's very transformative for them through the year. It really does prepare them, gives them that extra edge to really be prepared. But at the end of the year, these kiddos in our Greek mythology class serve as a campaign manager for a make-believe campaign to get their Greek god of choice elected and this culminates in a large community event outside here and each of these 8th grade students in front of a packed room of more than a 100 people will give a campaign speech asking the audience to vote for their god and then we have a vote and we actually choose a top god for the year and it is Amazing. Every single kid who starts here in fifth or sixth grade, parents says, okay, but there's no way my kid will be able to do that. 100% right. of our kids go through it and do it successfully. And they not only do that speech at graduation every year, our eighth graders also give a commencement speech. And it is amazing. Um, but really, this high school prep class is really key for helping these kids be prepared to, success, to succeed in high school. And we work with families all through the 8th grade year, starting at the end of 7th and even through the beginning of ninth, in helping families find the right placement, apply to the right schools, and then we provide wraparound support to make sure that the staff at that school know what this kid individually needs to succeed and help them be able to provide that.
1: That is unbelievable. That is amazing, because that was going to be my final question was, how do we get this extended all the way through 12th grade? (laughs) Because what a wonderful program. And you are definitely getting these kids. Well, that explains it. That explains why all of these parents say that when these kids leave 8th grade, they are truly ready to go into the world. Yeah. That is just that is just amazing.
0: And then that's exactly why why we don't go to high school is we believe if we did, we would teach our kids to succeed here. We want our kids to be able to succeed anywhere.
1: Well, and because that is reality, even if they were to go K through 12, you eventually have to leave and go out to college or some kind of trade school. You have to go out into the world. And so you have to know that you've got the training, you've got the executive skills that enable you to function for the rest of your life. And so I guess we have to put those to use. Exactly. Well. Then what a way to end. That was wonderful. Thank you so much. Tell everyone, if they're interested in knowing more about Bridges Middle School, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you?
0: Great. Um, First, check us out on the website at BridgesMS, as in middle school, BridgesMS.org. And um, our phone number is 503 688 Two It's also on the website along with our email. And if you're interested in learning more, the best thing to do is call us and schedule an individual tour. We'll send you on a student-led tour so you can see the school and hear from their voice what it's like and then meet with our admissions team. We get a chance to hear your story and then we can talk about how the program may or may not be a great fit and talk more about the enrollment and admissions process
1: and I can concur that it is an amazing admission process, and you really do feel as though everything has been covered, that you know exactly what kind of students are coming into your school to make everything work, and it's it's something that needs to be replicated many, many times throughout the throughout the United States of America, for sure. Well, thank you so much. I thank appreciate you, you telling everyone about this great program. Have a great rest of your week.
0: You too. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share.
1: All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Yeah That was just amazing. And I, I I hope that all of you have learned something about maybe little changes. If you're not if you don't live near Portland, if you're not able to send your children to Bridges Middle School, maybe Mrs. Burns has given you some ideas of things that you can go and take back to your school and say, Hey, I heard Blah, blah, blah about a special learning thing. Can we implement that into my son or daughter's IEP? Can I talk to you about some other ways that we can work? with my child to help his learning be more efficient at least perhaps it'll give you some ideas of of how they're working and what are some alternative ways that you could be teaching your children thank you so much for spending some time with me again today i hope all of you have a wonderful heavenly moment at least at once sometime today and we'll talk again next week bye bye